Again, our scripture lesson today comes to us from the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. As we turn to verse 32 and read through a verse of 43. Hear the word of the Lord. And it, now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, he also came down to the saint who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Ananias, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And Peter arose and went with them that he had come. Uh, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. When he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for your word and for the opportunity to hear your word. For to God, you have given to us your holy scriptures that we might be strengthened by them. God, we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Please be seated. One of the kind of strange things about this particular passage is, is that Peter had been kind of absent for the last four and a half chapters. We haven't heard from Peter since Acts chapter 5. He obviously has been up to something, but remember, Luke is trying to set forward a history of the early church. And he's doing so for his friend Theophilus. At the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, he tells Theophilus that he's going to set down a history of the things that have happened so that he can have a better understanding of his own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the book of Acts is really the second book of Luke. You know, in many of the same ways that the second book of Samuel and the second book of Kings and the second book of Chronicles are a continuation of the history of Israel. In fact, uh, there's some evidence that Luke is consciously following the model that we see in those three kind of sets of books in the Old Testament. And one of the things that we see in those books 
is we see faithful prophets who pop up, appear for a few chapters, and then disappear again. And then sometimes they'll show up again. And the writer of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles is doing this for a number of reasons. He's doing this so that the people of God would understand that the work of the faithful saints is not a one-man operation. That it's not something that's spearheaded by an individual. But it's a work of a community of faith. And one of the interesting things, of course, about Peter is that Peter is kind of the spokesman of the disciples. You know, we, we, we kind of know Peter better than the other uh, disciples because Peter had a disease that some uh, of us may have, which is can't shut up itis. You know, they, they always are talking. Well, that's the way Peter was. Peter was always talking, always speaking. And of course, much like those who suffer from like ailments, you know, they often find themselves putting their foot in their mouth. Yeah, there, there's something to be said about uh, choosing your words wisely. But Peter, of course, uh, had this particular ailment because God had established him for a work in his church. And that's one of the interesting things we see, of course, out of all the disciples and of the prophets of the Old Testament. That every single one of them is different. Again, when we think of that in the context of the local church, in the church today, of course we we see this uh, in, in all that we do. Again, all of us are gifted in different ways. You know, some of us talk too much. Some of us uh, talk the right amount. You know, some of us are gifted in service. Some of us are gifted in prayer. You know, some of us are gifted in organization, and some of us are not. You know, there, there's different gifts, different purposes, different uh, ideas, different things that are given to each particular saint in the church. And now we have Peter once more brought forward. Uh, Peter, again, has been, as we can expect, continuing the labors that Christ had established for him to do. To go out unto the towns, to the valleys, to the cities, and continue to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. You know, there's seemingly kind of a uh, you know, kind of an ordinary pattern to what we see Peter doing. You know, th- th- this is something Peter's already done in the book of Acts. Come upon somebody who needed healing. And what did he offer the, the lame man in Acts chapter 2? The same thing that he offers uh, the lame man in Lydda. He says to him in verse 34, And Peter said to him, And I ask Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. You remember earlier in Acts chapter 2 when he healed uh, the man who was lame. He said, Silver and gold I have not, but what I do have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, this, this, this Peter knows uh, by which these men will be healed. They won't be healed uh, by, as we uh, will hear later in 1 Samuel 28, by the seeking of mediums or spiritists or uh, the works of dark magic. 
The only way men and women are healed is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, again, thinking back to the Old Testament, uh, to the healings of both Elijah and Elisha. In both of these cases, both of these men heal uh, people. We hear of Elisha as he lays on top of a boy who is dead. And what happens to the boy? The boy is raised from the dead. And is he raised by the fact that the prophet put his hands on him? No, in fact, Elisha makes it very clear that he was healed because of the promises of Jehovah. Because of the work of the Lord our God. And when uh, Elisha is offered payment for this work, he denies it. And why does he deny it? Because he's not doing this work for himself. He's not doing this uh, in the way that Simon Magus uh, would have engaged in these labors. For his own glory, for his own purposes, and for his own majesty. But simply because the Lord our God had called him to go about this work, and that's what he was going to do. And the Lord was going to provide providential opportunities as He went around preaching to show proof of the power of God. And that's an important thing to think about when we enter into uh, these miracle stories. Why is it that we have them? Why is Peter given uh, these uh, spiritual gifts of healing? Again, it's not so that he could be kind of a first century Benny Hinn. So he could go around making money off other people's misery. Not that he was a magical faith healer. And the purpose of these miracles is to show forth the authority of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That it was not like the messages of the false prophets and the false messiahs which had been around in those days. But that the Word of God was the real truth. And that it had the very stamp of the Creator of heaven and earth upon it. Because who alone can heal the sick? Who alone can raise the dead from the grave? You know, it's not, again, by the laying on of the hands of Elisha that it was done. Because Elisha was just a man. He was a sinner like we are. But he had been anointed by the Holy Spirit to go about and to do these things. To show forth, to be an instrument of God's power and of God's purpose. Again, that's what is motivating Peter in these passages. Again, he wants to show the world how great his Savior is. He wants to show the world how beautiful it is. Uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ has came and died for sinners. It's interesting also here as we hear about the particular city that Paul is in. Again, nothing in the Bible happens by accident. Nothing in the Bible is, is happenstance. It, it, again, it isn't coincidence uh, that Peter is here in Lydda. Now, Lydda shows up twice in the Old Testament. Once in 1 Chronicles and the other in Ezra chapter 2. And in both of these places, we are told that the people of Lydda were faithful to the commands of the Lord. We're told this because 
We're supposed to read Acts chapter 9 and think of these faithful men and women of Israel. And we're to then think forward to uh, the faithfulness of Peter in the midst of this town. And again, what is it that encouraged the people of God to be faithful in this city? Before the people of Lydda in 1 Chronicles 8 and the people of Lydda in Ezra chapter 2, it was because in both cases we see the reestablishment of the right worship of the Lord. We see revival in its most pure sense taking place. That they have turned away from the idols of the flesh and have come to see the glory that alone belongs to the God of heaven. And that's what happens here in Lydda on this day. It's not just that a man comes and is healed of his physical ailments. You can think about what Peter says there. Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Again, think about what's taking place here. God, in His, in, in His majesty, has healed this lame man. And out of the healing of this lame man, we see, again, another revival take place in this city. We see uh, that those who saw Him turned to the Lord. Again, they didn't turn to Peter. They didn't turn to the healed man. They turned to the Lord. And again, it's important to notice what word that Luke uses there. Again, he uses the word Lord there on purpose. And he's not trying to be generic. He's not, he's not trying to kind of use good prose and not overuse words. But again, he wants us to think back to the faithfulness of God's people in the Old Testament. Again, what does it mean to turn to the Lord? Well, again, the word repentance should come to mind here. Again, an understanding of who they were was vital to their coming unto the Lord. Again, the people needed to understand that they, like this man, were lame. That they, like this man, could not heal themselves. And they needed to understand that there was no power in the flesh, but only... In the turning to the Lord, would they see the glory of the God of creation? And this is something that each one of us, again, needs to take into mind as we walk in the paths that the Lord has given unto us. And if we have been called to walk a lives of faith, and we have a goal in mind. Again, we're not just kind of walking aimlessly around the world. Right? Our goal is to walk through the heavens, heavenly gates you know, that, that we've heard called pearly gates. Right? That's, that's the purpose of this life. That's what we've been put here to do is to go into the heavenly gates, into the heavens that God Himself has created. Now what happens if we're walking upon this path and we decide to take an exit? And we start walking the wrong way. Well, how are we going to get back on track? Are we going to get back on track by doubling down on uh, the fact that we're going the wrong way? Are we going to 
make it unto heaven if we continue to argue with Tom Tom who keeps telling us to turn around? You know, saying, well, I, I know where I'm going. I, 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 this is a shortcut onto the way to heaven. Again, what, what do we see in, in the Scriptures when people think and talk like that? When the prophets and the apostles and the faithful proclaimers of God's Word call unto them to repent, to turn around and come back onto the path that God has laid forward for their lives. Well, what do we see when there is repentance in Israel? What do we see, for example, in the life of Manasseh? You know, 2 Chronicles 33 is a perfect example of what this looks like. We see at the beginning of 2 Chronicles 33 that Manasseh uh, is engaged in the sins of his father Jeroboam. And what that means is, is that he is continuing to worship the Lord in a way that God has not commanded. He continues to offer up sacrifices to false idols. And when challenged by the prophets, what does Manasseh do? He doubles down on his wickedness. He then starts offering up his own children unto Molech. Putting them into the fire in the hopes that he would be given fertility. That there would be famine taken away from the land. And then the Lord God brings judgment down upon Manasseh. Not only does He bring judgment upon His own house, but He brings judgment upon Israel. And they're taken into captivity. Again, that was not the path that Manasseh thought he would be on in his sin. Again, nobody sins out of ignorance. And people know what they're doing. People know that they're engaged in rebellion against the Lord. And when called out upon it, they continue in it because they love the rebellion. Again, they love their sins. They love these things. And that's why what we see happen to Manasseh is what we see happen both to Dorcas and to Ananias here. What has to happen is that the Holy Spirit needs to awaken them out of their death, out of their blindness, out of the darkness of their own life. They need to be awakened out of these things. And that's what happens to Manasseh. We see there in 2 Chronicles 33 uh, that the Holy Spirit comes upon him and, he's, and he sees his evil. And his first response is not to make excuses for his sin. His first response is not to say, well, God, I had a, all good intentions with what I did. You know, I was trying to serve you in the midst of these things. What we see from Manasseh is he falls on his face and confesses his sins before the Lord. He falls on his face and says, Against you and you alone have I sinned, much as David does in Psalm 51. And what we see from Manasseh is, is as, a, as the Lord is receiving his confession of sin, as he's coming back into the land that God had given to his fathers, the first thing Manasseh does is go around and destroy the groves. Destroy the idols. Destroy uh, the previous uh, uh, examples and elements of His wickedness. Again, this turning from sin unto righteousness is not just a turning around and walking forward. But it's an active work of sanctification where we put aside the things that we're trusting in that are leading us astray. 
You think of the example that Jesus gives in the parable of the sower, of the seed that falls to the ground and rises up and gets caught in the thorns. Well, if you're throwing seed and you're a good husbandman, you know, what do you do to prevent the seed from being tied up in the thorns? Do you walk in there and just spread the thorns apart? And stand there until the thing's tall enough to go above the thorns? And then release the thorns in the hopes that, well, it's above it now, it'll take care of itself. Now, if you were doing that, how fruitful would that particular plant be? Well, it wouldn't, would it? What's necessary? You have to go to the very roots of the thorns, pull them out of the ground, remove them from the premises. That is the only hope that the seed has. Brothers and sisters, as we see this example that's given to us in the book of Acts, and this is what we need to hear from these people who have turned to the Lord. It's not just that they were amazed by the works of God and want to follow a God who does amazing things. It's because they have heard the confession that Peter has given unto Ananias. The Lord Jesus Christ heals you. And the people are turning to the Lord because they understand that what really afflicted uh, this man was not the fact he was lame. What afflicted this man is that he was dead in his sins. And that what needed change in his life was not his lame leg uh, or, or whatever it was. What needed change in this man's life was his heart. What needed change in this man's life was who he is. And this man who had been healed was no longer uh, this Ananias who existed five minutes before Peter arrived. He had a new identity in Jesus Christ. He was a new person. He was a new creation. Notice what is said there. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. What is it about the man that is moving them to turn to the Lord? And it's not just that he had been healed of his physical needs. And one of the, one of the fruits, one of the evidences of one who trusts in the Lord is that they show the Lord in the life that they lead. They show what it means, what it looks like to put your faith and trust in the living and the true God. And this is what has excited the crowds to come and to see this man Peter and to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the second healing that we have here with Dorcas, that we see again at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Again, it's interesting the, the, the way in which uh, Luke introduces this young uh, woman. He calls her a disciple. And what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And what are we told uh, about Dorcas? Again, the reason why we're given two names is is that just like with Saul and Paul, it was common in uh, those days for people to have a a Jewish name and a Greek name. It was common to have a a, a name that you would speak in the synagogue, a a name that you you were known by in your family, and then a name that you would use for professional reasons uh, because the, the language of the day was Greek. 
And so that's why we have Tabitha and Dorcas, much like we have Saul and Paul and Simon and Peter and these kinds of examples in the New Testament. So Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Again, the example that we have of this faithful disciple is of the good works and charitable deeds, which she did. And again, where is it that she has gotten these things? Was it because she happened to be born with the right spirit, the right mindset? You know, was she just raised right? You know, why is she of this way? Again, Peter, Luke wants us to understand these things. Again, that's why we have these two healings back to back. And we have this man who had been healed of his fleshly problems. Also being made this new creature in Christ who we are told then goes and does likewise. Goes and shows forth the truthfulness of his confession of faith of which moves others to turn to the Lord. And there we have this disciple Tabitha who has come to faith much earlier than this man. But again, their lives are the same. They exhibit this understanding, this trust in the Lord our God. We hear there in verse 37, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So here we have an example of the kind of things uh, that Dorcas did in her charitable deeds and good works. Again, we have an example of someone who was serving God with her talents, with what God had given to her, had made her uh, to do in this life. And that's an important thing for each one of us to think about. Again, not all of us have been called to do the same thing. Our good works are going to be different because we are different people. And we are to be not only confident in that, but we are to rest and trust in those gifts. And one of the troubles we can often fall into is not being satisfied in what God has given to us to do. And that's one of the ways in which we break the Tenth Commandment. You know, I, I, I you know that you know, there's, a te- there's a, a kind of a tendency sometimes to say, boy, I wish I could do that as well as she does. Or I wish I had as much ability as he does. Well, what's wrong with that? Again, it's not wrong to wish you were able to do things. But again, if we spend all our time wishing we were like someone else... What are we not doing? We're not resting in who God made us to be. Again, the talents that God gave us to do for His kingdom and for His purposes. And we're also falling into this kind of man-made sinful trap that says that certain works are more important and better than other works. When we we think about the labors that God gave to the disciples, we see in Ephesians chapter 4 that... God made some to be teachers, some to be prophets, uh, some uh, to do works of service, some to do this and some to do that. And is Peter or Paul there laying out a hierarchy of need, a hierarchy of importance? No, what he's saying is, is that yes, 
You are all different. And God has made you blessedly to be different. And that each one of you is to use that difference to bring the body of Christ into a fullness of its purpose. Again, we need to be watchful in our own walks with Christ that we not again become covetous of our neighbor in this regard. But that we again focus upon what God has given to us to do and again not to again fall into this worldly mind uh, way of thinking uh, that kind of again gives this different level of importance to different gifts. Again, all of these things have been given for the glory of God. And as we kind of come to a close today, we see in the, in the midst of this story, as, as, as Peter rose with them, he came, they brought him up a room. Again, they're showing these tunics and garments which Dorcas had made with them. And Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, present her alive. And it became known throughout Al Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Again, Luke wants us to pay attention here. Who have they believed upon? Hey, they believed upon Peter, who has raised a woman from the dead. Hey, they believed upon Dorcas, who must have received this gift because she's such a good person. Again, where is the faith of the people moved in the midst of this wonderful work? And it goes to the Lord. It goes to the One who has not only made this possible, but has declared these things to come to pass. And they have come to pass because Peter has been faithfully doing the work that God had called him to do. And Peter was just traveling around in the midst of the Holy Spirit's work proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And God, from the beginning of time, from before the beginning of time, had said that I am going to raise up Dorcas from the dead, and I am going to heal Ananias. And my purpose is in this is to bring glory not only to myself, but so that others may see the majesty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters, as we again close our time today, and as we go, and as we fellowship, and as we eat together, and as we go off the mountain down back down to Clover, and let us keep this in our own minds. And let us not uh, be uh, like so many who have kind of this hour-long faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let us, again, live this example that we have seen, not for the glory of ourselves, that we might be built up in the eyes of the world. But may others might see the love that we have for our Savior. That others might see that we trust not in the passing things of this world, but in the glory that is to come to those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because again, the testimony of our lives, the testimony of our hearts, is this truth. That we have believed upon the Lord. That we have believed upon Him who has called us out of death. Who has healed us of our sin. Who has healed us of our transgressions who have washed us in the blood of the Lamb and has given to us this new life in Christ, that we might share that new life with those who are in need of hearing and seeing the effect that faith has on us. And let us rest and trust in the beauty of the cross, in the beauty of the empty tomb, in the beauty of every little thing that the Lord has done for us.
And let us do so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly